our verses today from Scripture, Revelation 14, 6 to 12. Revelation 14, 6 to 12. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in, on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image. And whoever receives his mark in his name. Here is the patience of the saints. And here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Wasn't that encouraging? <laughs> wow. The book of Revelation, more than any other biblical book, is the clearest on the judgment. And that's what I want to talk about today, the judgment. The judgment is primarily about God. His character, his actions, his right to our love and obedience. It's the main theme of the Bible from the first to the end, especially this concluding book of the Bible, the last book that was written. John wanted to make it very clear that God in every way is righteous and worthy of our admiration and love and worship. Now, how fitting this should be, the last book of the Bible. But have you had trouble figuring out why John would write such a book? I mean, John is the apostle of love, isn't he? Doesn't he isn't he the one that says so much about love? And uh, knowing the, how much importance that Jesus puts on love, John, more than any of the other of the closest followers of Christ, is the expert on love. And you would expect, obviously, a book that John would write would just be loaded with love. Revelation is loaded with judgment. John was the one that, John 3.16, for God so, most famous Bible verse anywhere, God so loved. John writes more about love than any other writer. And I'm just going to give you a quick dose of what John's writings are all about in the various books that he has written. We are to love one another as Christ loved us, John says. He also says, loving is keeping God's commandments. Loving is that. And I have the verses here. God's love is perfected in obedience to God. So even in the area of obedience and law-keeping, John places the caveat that it's done with love. That's the only way it can be done. 
John is the one who always will bring up the love. Abide in love. Love one another. Praying the Father that the love shared between Jesus and the Father might be in us. That's what John recorded. That was what Jesus said, and John recorded that. The, you would think that John would ever say anything but just love. <laughs> uh, he recorded Jesus' appeal to Peter. You remember, after Peter's tremendous failure, and feed my sheep, just take care of them. Does Revelation fit that bill? Wow. Uh, love must be demonstrated if it's to be genuine. So John is always appealing to demonstrate love. Show love, not just in word, but in actions as well. Loving our brothers is proof that we have passed from death to life. John is just saturated with love. And he says it over and over. Love is only from God. It's proof positive that God is in us. Love makes us bold, fearless when judged. And I love reading the writings of John. I love that. Just finished reading the Gospels and his epistles. And now Revelation. Does it sound at all like what I've just said? Have you read Revelation lately? Does it sound like John is a writer of that book? Not from what I have said and what he says elsewhere. Where is love to be found in the book of Revelation? Here we find such phases, or phrases as I'm going to give you right now. In Revelation, you read about the second death, hell, lake of fire. Any love yet? <laughs> you read about Hades and people being cast into Hades. We read about the wine of God's wrath. Any love yet here? That is poured out without indignation, eternal torment, fire and brimstone, smoke ascending up forever, the beast, the false prophet, the lake of fire. Does that sound like John? Are you with me? It's very different, isn't it? The John who wrote the gospel, the John who wrote the epistles, wrote this book. Very strange. Very strange. The third angel's message is the most fearsome wording to be found anywhere in the Bible by the apostle of love. How can we worship an angry God? There was nothing that John wanted more than what his words to bring people to Christ. And some of these words in the book of Revelation make people run the other direction. I see some heads are nodding. <laughs> when has anger ever resolved anything? Wouldn't anger and these words of the book of Revelation just close people's hearts up to the Lord? Now, I'm just asking questions and pointing out things that all of us has probably already felt. Christ, even, is pictured by John in the book of Revelation as having eyes like flames of fire. Doesn't sound too inviting. A sword in his mouth. What about that one? Mm. He spews people out of his mouth. There's tribulation, plagues, poverty, martyrdom. The entire universe is caught up in a battle of unprecedented proportions, causing the greatest men on earth to cry out to the mountains to fall on them just to escape it. That's Revelation. There are horns and eyes and beasts and cosmic battles and earthquakes and lightnings and horrible creatures. That's Revelation. Have you read the book devotionally lately? Have you read Revelation devotionally lately? Just to lift up your heart? 
might make your heart scared. <laughs> None can escape all of these things. And there's always in the background some issues. Chapters 4 and chapter 5 talk about the issues of worthiness and justice and questions of how long and repeatedly there's a measuring going on. It seems so unlike John. How can this be the same person that wrote so beautifully about love and the gospel and the epistles? He tells us in the book of Revelation to fear God. Why is there a need to fear God? Is God fearful? And I want to ask you a question. Seventh-day Adventists have their identity tied not to the Gospel of John, but to the book of Revelation. You know that, don't you? When we were thinking about doing some remodeling around here, we thought about our sign, and of course, the thing that we're going to put on our sign is the logo of the church. What is the logo of the church? Oh, yeah, it's a flame in a Bible. That's right, it is that, isn't it? Yeah. But for years and years and years, what has it really been? Where do you see the three angels flying? Three angels flying. Our identity is attached to the words that Dr. Jennings just read. That is our identity. Did you feel warm and cozy when you heard him read those words? Did you feel drawn to that? That's our identity. Third angel's message. It marks Seventh-day Adventists out as different than everybody else. Are you comfortable with that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we believe, along with John, that this is good news. Now take your Bibles and look at Revelation chapter 14. Dr. Jennings just read that for us. I want you to see it and look at it yourself. John chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had what? The everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, people. That's the first angel's message, and that's primarily what I want to talk about today, just for the time that we have together. The whole world is confused about the gospel, I believe. And this kind of helps to straighten it out a little bit. Uh, outside of what Jesus said, the best authority on the good news, the gospel, is no doubt the Apostle Paul. And, and, I'm gonna, and you may want to jot some of these verses down because maybe you want to go home and look at this because I'm going to give you something to think about today. 1 Corinthians, are you getting ready? There's space in the bulletin if you need a paper to write on. There's all kinds of space there. Just pick a spot. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. Here's what Paul says about the gospel. Christ did not send me to baptize. He sent me to tell the good news. For the message about Christ's death on the cross is nonsense to those who are being lost, but for us who are being saved, it is God's power. Apostle Paul believed very strongly that the gospel had power. We know that. Romans chapter 1 Verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. For in it, 
the righteousness of God is revealed. Did you see that? Did you hear that? What is revealed in the gospel? That's it. The gospel holds the righteousness of God. And when the angel is preaching the good news, that's what it says it preaches, the first angel, he, the, the message is about the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. That's very important. So the good news is connected to God's righteousness. Romans chapter 3, 25 and 26 Romans 3, 25, 26. For God showed him publicly dying as a means of reconciliation. This was to demonstrate God's own righteousness, to show that he himself is righteous and that he sets right everyone who trusts in Jesus. So the gospel, the gospel demonstrates the righteousness of God showing that he sets right everyone who trusts in him. The first angel is making a declaration about the everlasting gospel being proclaimed to all of the world. Seventh-day Adventists believe that this is our mandate, this is our, our um, essence, our, the heart of our existence, to bring the truth about God, his righteousness, and how he makes people right to the entire world. There is nothing new about it. You can read about it also in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. Jeremiah 9, 24. That him who boasts about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So the good news is about God and his righteousness. I like these passages that I, I pulled out of my, one of my favorite writers here. The knowledge of God as revealed in Christ is the knowledge that all who are saved must have. Now, this righteousness of God is a declaration of the ways that God is right and perfect. Ways that have been challenged and argued against by God's most direct opponent, Lucifer. And in the book of Revelation chapter 14, the angel is saying clear across the world, see, God is just. God is right. God is the kind of loving God that he is always declared to be. The evidence is now clear for everybody to see. And that's what Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 is all about. And it's a tremendous declaration. Um, <clears throat> we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That brings out a tremendous... That's a passage in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. That which we look at transforms us. And if we're thinking about Jesus Christ and looking for Jesus Christ, we are changed into his image. Very important. Now, so convinced is Paul that this is the gospel. And the gospel is absolutely trustworthy and true. That when challenged seriously by some of his colleagues, Paul makes this astounding claim. Go to Galatians. I'll let you turn to this one. You can write it down, Galatians chapter 1, 
verses 8 and 9, but it's a familiar one. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. I want to read it right out of the scriptures here. This is a powerful passage. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Paul was absolutely sure of the gospel. And it is a story about God and why we should love him and trust him. Now, this is pretty strong language for Paul. Um, the uh, gentle clergyman who wrote the Philip's Bible says, may he be a damned soul. So Philip's is even stronger. Um, the Good News Bible, condemned to hell, kind of like the one we just read. The Living Bible, let God's curse fall upon him. King James, let him be a curse. New Ivy, and, uh, New International, may he be eternally condemned as I read. Paul is profoundly convinced that the righteousness of his version of the good news is absolutely correct. Now, this angel, that first angel that flies across the heavens preaching this good news, is saying to everybody, God has shown us very clearly who he is, and he is worthy of our worship and worthy of our love. He is true. He is trustworthy. He is right, as opposed to all that is said against him, against all of Satan's lies. Now, <clears throat> it ha it's very easy, you would say, to believe that. But I'm going to challenge you a little bit, see if you really believe the gospel. Because we could think we believe the gospel and not. Do you remember the story of Peter who went through that tremendous humiliating uh, turn away from God and uh, betrayal and then how God met him by the seaside and asked him to feed his sheep and then Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost at Pentecost like all the other disciples were, the apostles were. And do you remember after that that Peter slipped you remember the story of Peter's slippage? What happened? Do you remember the story? What did it? What happened with Peter? He wasn't, well, yes, but after all of that, after he had the Holy Spirit and all of that, he slipped back into old Judaism. You remember? And, yeah, and, and he kind of under. Uh, mind that put the Gentiles in a lesser status and didn't give them the proper deference that they deserved. Peter fell back away from the gospel. The gospel is about God. Now, Peter in his actions was showing a gospel that was entirely different than God's. Do you see what I'm saying? Would God have done what Peter did? Would he have? No, not at all. Should Peter have known not to do that? Yes, he should have known that. He slipped back and he went away from the gospel. Every time, and by the way, when he did that, 
Paul, who really was careful and gentle, and some of his writings in the Bible are extremely superb on this. He talks to us about how important it is to be kind and understanding and, and not, you know, bully other people around. He really got on Peter's case here and confronted him about it. It's like he was saying in Galatians chapter 1, let him be accursed who violates the gospel. Every day I do something that projects something, every day we do things that project who we are, what our beliefs are on the people around us that either shows that we believe the gospel or we don't. And when this whole drama comes to an end, as it will with the preaching of the angel's message into the entire world, it will be because God's people not only see God this way, but they have become that way because they've been beholding him and we become like the one we observe. Are you with me? And so, Seventh-day Adventists sometimes are preaching a gospel very different than the gospel of God. Now, God, here's what God is. God is gracious, isn't that right? Very gracious. Is God compassionate? Look up in the Bible, find out what God is all about. He'll tell you words like this. Is God merciful? Is God slow to anger? Is God ready to pardon? Are we that way? <laughs> are we that way? So we oftentimes are, even though we are professing one way, we are denying it. Is that serious? Yeah, I think it is. Do you remember of an individual who made one mistake that cost him going into the promised land? Moses. And what did he do? Was Moses slow of anger? He had a right, we say, to be angry. He was working with some pretty stubborn people, headstrong people. But Moses was representing God. And representing God has serious consequences, and I want you to know I understand that. And all of us understand that. Every parent represents God. And when we, by our behavior, show something other than God in our behavior, we are preaching a different gospel. And because Moses was demonstrating something entirely different than what God was, God had to be pretty hard on Moses because people went away from that that day thinking that God was the way Moses showed him to be. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because he struck the rock and people thought, well, Moses has walked with God. Therefore, maybe God is the way that Moses just portrayed him. And so this is really interesting. And so when the gospel is proclaimed in Revelation chapter 14, it is saying to the entire world, not only is God shown to be what he claims to be, loving, gracious, forgiving, long-suffering, and all the things that we know God to be, but the people that look at God and claim to be his followers have also been demonstrating that as well. And God is winner in the battle of all of the ages because of that. That's extremely an important thing to think about. So when 
Peter made a mistake. Paul had to publicly correct him face to face. And the same thing happens with us as well. Now, Paul gets very direct about this. People that mess up with the gospel, he says in Galatians, write this down, 5, verse 12, Galatians 5, 12, this amazing passage, I wish that they would go the whole way and make eunuchs out of themselves. That's Paul. He feels pretty strongly about the gospel. When we fail to represent the gospel, it's because we haven't been seeing God the way he really is. We behave largely the way that we think God is. If we see God being the way he really is, then we will follow that path. Simply because by beholding, we become. What happens when you behold? Changed. And if we are acting a different way, then we are seeing a different God than what he really is. It's very profound, isn't it? Let them make eunuchs out of themselves if they don't preach the gospel correctly, Paul says. The Jerusalem Bible puts it even more strongly. Let those who are disturbing you, the people that were messing around with the message of the gospel, and confusing you about the good news and freedom, well, I'd just like to see the knife slip. That's pretty bold, isn't it? The knife slip. When it comes to that, in Paul's mind, about the gospel. There can be no equivocation. Even an angel from heaven could not come with a different version and get away with it. God would, Paul would stand up against it. Somehow, the symbol that represents our church is so important and so precious, and Paul caught it, that all of us should be under a tremendous mandate to help each other live like God and represent God to each other and to the world. You see what I'm saying? And when that is done, this angel is going to be commissioned to fly and say, it's done. It happened. It's been concluded. God has been proven, not only in his declarations, but the fact that he has changed a people. This is the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And what do people say about us? What are we most famous for? Do people, when they think of Seventh-day Adventists, do they think about how compassionate we are? Is that the first thing that comes to their mind? Do they think about how merciful we are, how long-suffering, how slow to anger, how gracious we are, all the traits of God? Is that the first thing that comes to their mind? Is it? Pardon me? You have. Imagine that. The logo of the church... Three angels' message is a statement that we believe God is as the first angel says he is and how the gospel says he is, and we are his people. We will be like him. We love the way he is, and we want to be like him, and he will make us like that. Therefore, the first message that should come into the minds of anybody that sees that logo, well, these people live like God, and they believe that God is a long-suffering, gracious, merciful, forgiving God. That is what this is all about. No wonder the Apostle John would give such a message like that. Now it begins to fit, doesn't it? 
And you can begin to see that because he talks about that repeatedly. And when that happens, it is finished and God's work is over with and no longer is there this message that God is arbitrary, exacting and vengeful and unforgiving and severe and a liar and selfish and certainly not worthy of our respect as Satan has made him out to be. But his people, he's made them like him. Wow. Would we have to put up advertisements to do evangelism if we were this way? Would we? What would happen? People would say, just show me how to do it. I'm ready to come. Right? This is what God is looking for. This is the good news, and this is what it's all about. Our time is gone, but I want to tell you a story. I was here last week. And after I left here, that night I drove home. Well, I don't remember which night it was I drove home, but I drove home. <laughs> and as I was going home, it was very dark. And it was, I think it was rainy. And I was doing pretty good progress. It's, to get here, it's 210 miles from my home. And so I was more than halfway. I, if you know Highway 20, you go over the mountains between the lakes, you know, and when you get over to the valley where Williams is at. And I was about maybe in that last stretch just before you get past the mountains and go to the flatlands. And suddenly, my whole body was taken over by God. He's done this before while I'm driving. I don't know why he does that to me. But I was driving, and suddenly, I was in an emotional turmoil that I only remember one other time in my life when I was in that much turmoil and God was doing it 37 years ago when God converted me and helped me to see something. I was on a road in Maui between Wailuku or Kahului and Lahaina. It was only one little short stretch of the road that there is there. There was there at the time. And I was driving my car and suddenly God just took me over and I had been praying for years for God, I've told you this story, I think, for God to give me freedom from sin. And wondering why, oh why, hadn't he done it? And he just took me over in that car and just took me over so completely I was pounding on the steering wheel as you are when you're in great agony. And my whole soul, if you could raise the t or measure the tension level, it was through the, it was through the atmosphere, it was unbelievable. And I was feeling in a very short period of time, it seemed to me like it was an eternity, but I was feeling the full cost of my sin. And God didn't hold back at all. God showed me that if I couldn't get victory over my sin, one calamity after another would be met out. My sin would result in this and this and this. And he showed it as though it's a, it was a fact. It was already happened. What it would do to my mother. Did that ever break my heart? What it would do to my wife. Oh, nail right into my heart. And then to my children. And it was like there was nothing they could do to stop this. I realized that God was speaking very truthfully to me. And he wasn't playing games. I was in judgment. And God was pointing out to me 
that this would happen and there was nothing I could do to stop it. One life after another after another destroyed by my sin. And I was feeling the truthfulness of that in my heart. I don't know why he was doing that to me. At least I didn't at the time. But he really got his point across. And finally, when I really felt the cost of this, my sin was no longer any attraction to me at all. Do you follow what I'm saying? He showed me the full cost in real terms that I valued. And I realized that all of this would ter- these terrible things would happen and I would be lost and there was nothing I can do and I admitted it to God. And I said, well, I am damned and all of these people are going to be destroyed and my heart was just wrenching. And God is, he's an amazing God. Next thing that was going on was children's Sabbath school songs started going through my head. You know those songs about Jesus, our Savior, and he takes away all of our sins. And, you know, there's wonderful songs, and I don't remember right now which those songs were, but children were singing these songs in this car while I was driving. And the point of the song Every song that was playing in my head, I wasn't in control of this. It was all God doing this. And the point of all of those songs was that Jesus is our Savior. And then suddenly, those simple little songs got the point across. Oh, I'm damned. You're my Savior. Wait. You're responsible for saving me. I can't do it. You've made that really clear. I can't avoid it. I'm going to be damned. I accept that. I know that. But you said you would save me, and I was getting pretty bold right now. If you don't, I'm going to point my finger at you in judgment because I can't do it. I readily admit it. You must save me. And when I said that, Suddenly, everything relaxed. And it was peace. It was done. Jesus, as though he said, you finally got it. I needed to understand who Jesus really was. And he showed me the truth. It's like the three of those messages right here. On my way to Williams... 37 years later. Oh, by the way, he changed my heart that day. (laughs) I realized he. Now I keep my eyes on him. I'm getting better and better at that, praise God. On the road to Williams, 37 years later, in my car, traveling down the road, didn't stop, didn't pull over, didn't need to. He was in control, just going down the road. Totally in him. He's in absolute control of my emotions. And I start bawling. My face starts wrenching up. Have you ever had that happen to you? (laughs) Where you bawl so bad that your face has got to look absolutely horrendous. I could feel it all wrenched up. And my heart was wrenched up. And I start to cry uncontrollably. I didn't know why I was doing this. 
until suddenly the reason comes to my mind. And God in a spirit that didn't even sound like a voice, these words, not words, but just thoughts came to my mind. It's over. Your sins are not going to be passed to the next generation. Oh, oh, how wonderful. My son, my daughters, my grandchildren. God is saying it's over. It's done. How wonderful to be in the judgment of God. In this case, he made me see how helpless I was and how absolutely in need I was. And then later on, after converting me, he comes and tells me that. Something I really needed to hear. That's what we believe. God takes things away. The judgment is not about ourselves. It's about God and how wonderful and good and gracious he is. And if we can keep our eyes on him and our hearts on him, there's a very good chance we're going to become like him. And God will win. I hope this has meant something to you. It's meant something to me. To realize that God is there in my life, as he is in your life too. Keeping his promises, revealing himself to us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And this is what the angel is preaching. Now, I'm, I'm done, but I want to tell you, there's two other angels' messages, and I'll tell you the second angel simply says, all opposition has collapsed. The power of deception has run its course. No more evidence could Satan bring. It's all finished. That's the second angel's message. Third angel says, this is the inevitable consequences of those who prefer Satan's lies. So that's what it's all about. And that's what Seventh-day Adventists believe. If you believe the gospel, you're covered. If you don't, there's these horrible examples that God has told us about ahead of time to warn us. We are going to begin an evangelistic series. And we are going to send an invitation. Chris, I hear that you joined this church as a result of a series. How many years ago? A long time ago. Yeah, quite a while. 20-some years ago? A long time ago. Ken? Both of you. Okay. So, here you have it. Here's an opportunity for us to reach others with the same good news about Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to take this very seriously. We're going to start meeting. We're going to keep you addressed, uh, up to date on this. Uh, we're going to start having um, plans, and we're just not going to just have somebody come in and sweep out of town. We're going to be involved. It's going to be our series. I want you to start praying for this. I want you to ask the Lord's Spirit to fall upon this town. I hope you haven't turned me off yet. On this town. Holy Spirit, fall upon this town. Fall upon this church. Help us to be aware. May the Holy Spirit open up our hearts to be aware when we're just shopping or doing whatever we're doing in town or even just sitting by our phone because sometimes just a phone call. Has, and you don't have to talk about the Bible even. You just show yourself a friend. Show yourself to be the kind of person that God is and they can change things. Yes? Oh. Okay, Jim, you're talking about Jim? Yeah. 
And that was after Doug, or what was that? How long ago? Prehistory. Good. And look at this. We've got these three wonderful people here as a result of things like that happening. And God is going to bring other people into this, our church. And don't we need other people in our church? And young people, we do need that. We realize that when we are aware of who you are, our lives have a tendency to become like the one we worship. May it be that as we think about the months ahead that lead up to this exciting prospect in our community, that your Holy Spirit will be in our hearts in a special way in the hearts of this community as well, and that we will be able to experience the outward flowing of your power and your grace in an amazing way. And may the gospel be uplifted and have a transformatory effect on all. In Jesus' name we pray. Go home with us and keep us through this coming week. Amen.